This evening we're concluding our overview of Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we find Paul, he's wrapping up this incredible epistle by encouraging the Christians in Corinth to become believers who are living in spiritual submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And while it's one thing to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives, it's a whole other thing to actually live a life of submission to the Lordship of Jesus. The reason for why I say this is due to the fact that those who are living in true spiritual submission will demonstrate their submissiveness through the way they invest their time and their talent and their treasure, all for the glory of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, with this as our goal, let's begin our overview of this challenging chapter. And so if you would look with me here at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we'll begin reading at verse 1. Here Paul declared, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now, here in the opening verses of this final chapter, we find Paul, he's encouraging the Christians there in Corinth to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ by setting aside a portion of their income so that they could send a gift of benevolence to the Christians in Jerusalem. You see, uh, the Christians in Jerusalem were were suffering at this point in time. Uh, There there was great poverty there amongst the believers of Israel. And and so Paul is saying, hey, let's, let's put a collection together so that we can help them out, financially speaking. And we must not fail to notice there in verse 2 that Paul was directing those disciples there in Corinth to consolidate this weekly offering on the first day of the week. Or in other words, Paul was expecting them to, to gather this financial gift every Sunday there at their church. Not only was this something that he encouraged the Christians in Corinth to do, but there in verse 1 we also learn that Paul had encouraged all the churches of Galatia to engage in the same sort of spiritual discipline by taking up a collection for the saints. And not only that, but if you read Romans chapter 15, we also learn that the Christians in Macedonia and Achaia were also gathering gifts and offerings for the poor who were in Jerusalem. And from this, I would argue that Paul would also encourage us in the same way. I believe that Paul would encourage us to engage in the same sort of spiritual discipline which would lead us to gather a collection or or an offering of finances on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, so that we can help those who are poor. To put it simply, I believe that we too as a church should gather a collection of financial gifts and offerings so that we can bless those who are in need. I believe the Lord would have us to to bless uh, others with with charitable benevolence. And while there are many wonderful charities that we could support with our income, uh, we must not forget that the Lord has actually called us to support the work of the ministry here at our own church by dedicating a portion of our finances for the work of ministry uh, from our church to, to others who are in need. And with that being the case... Well, I would encourage every Christian here to present your offerings to the Lord on the first day of the week so that we can help those who are in need. Christian, listen. 
we actually as a church receive requests for charitable benevolence almost every week. Almost every week we get a phone call from someone who's in need and and fallen on hard times. Not only that, but there's people here within our own fellowship who fall on hard times, they lose their job, unexpected bills, all kinds of things uh, can come up in our lives. And so there's times when there's people in our own church who, much like the widows that we read about in Acts chapter 6, are destitute and in need of financial help. And as a church, I believe that we should always be prepared to provide benevolence for the poor, uh, which is why we actually have a line item in our annual budget plan, which is dedicated to this discipline of charitable benevolence. We set aside a portion of the money that comes into this church so that we can help those who are in need. At the same time, we must understand that this budgeted line item It's actually only a projection of what we believe the Lord is going to provide through the weekly collection that comes from the offerings and the gifts that are given here at Calvary South Austin. And so we're saying that whatever money comes in, we'd like to set aside this amount for helping those in need, and yet we must understand that our church can only be as benevolent as the individuals who attend this church. We will only be as benevolent as the people who are here giving those offerings to to fill in the money that's necessary for that line item. Therefore, I would encourage every Christian here to prayerfully consider the poor as you prayerfully consider how much you're going to give here at this church. We should prayerfully consider the poor as we present our offerings to the Lord on the first day of the week. And not only should we be mindful of the needs of those who are poor, but I believe that we should also be mindful of the ministry opportunities before us because uh, the Christian who is living in spiritual submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is not only considering how they uh, submit to the Lord with their money, uh, but we're also considering how we become submissive servants in the way we spend our time. And with this in mind, if you would look with me, beginning there at verse 5, Here Paul described his itinerary by declaring this. He says, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries now here in these verses we discover that paul was writing this letter from the uh, asian city of ephesus and this was happening during the beginning of his third missions trip uh, throughout the gentile world and while it was his desire to spend the winter there in the grecian city of corinth he also recognized that he was a servant of the lord he wasn't just on uh, his own vacation it wasn't his time it was the lord's time and and he was a servant of the lord and so he was quick to declare four of the most important words that a Christian can utter. If you missed it, then look with me again there at the end of verse 7. Because there Paul demonstrated true spiritual submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ by declaring, if the Lord permits. If the Lord permits. That word permits was translated from a Greek word which speaks of the approval that comes from gaining permission. And what this means, though, is this. Paul wasn't going to travel to Corinth unless the Lord gave him permission to go. He wasn't going going to go on down to Corinth unless the Lord gave him permission. 
And though it was his desire to go down to Greece where the work of the ministry had been a little bit easier than Ephesus, Paul recognized that the Lord was actually calling him to stay right there in Ephesus so that he could continue to establish the church in that area of Asia Minor where there were many adversaries of the gospel message. From this, it's important for us to understand that the open doors of ministry opportunities, uh, they don't always lead to comfort. Uh, they don't always lead to, uh, to, to this, this time of health and wealth. They oftentimes lead us into times of great difficulty. For example, uh, consider the personal testimony that Paul presented in 2 Corinthians 11, where he tells us that from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and not in the cool Colorado kind of way. No, they actually threw stones at him and, and just about killed him. Three times, he says, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. There's a snapshot of Paul's ministry. And from this, we can see that the open doors of ministry opportunities uh, won't always be the fast track to the personal prosperity of health and wealth as many preachers would lead you to believe. No, instead, the open doors of ministry opportunity will result in the difficulties that arise as we set out to serve our Savior. And sadly, there are many Christians who have been duped into believing that the open doors of ministry will always lead us to a pasture of, of pillows where there's nothing but rainbows and lollipops. And we think, oh, I'll start serving the Lord and everything's going to be grand and he's going to give me all the things that I'm asking for. And, and it doesn't work out that way. Rather, we find ourselves facing many ministry difficulties and it becomes tough. And it's for this reason that there are many who are quick to leave Ephesus and head down to Corinth without first submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ by seeking his permission. Granted, there are many who will say, well, I think the Lord is telling me. Well, it's interesting that the Lord is always telling you something that works out best for you. Be careful with that. Be careful with that phrase, the Lord told me. How do you know? We have to become submissive servants who seek the permission of the Lord before we say, well, we're going to do something else. More simply put, there are many Christians who are quick to give up on their calling in Christ once they discover that the open door of ministry that, that they thought was going to be so spectacular was actually tough and difficult. They set out to serve the Lord, and next thing you know, they, they, uh, they found themselves facing the, an unexpected attack of the adversary. Or they found themselves surrounded by difficult Christians who are hard to get along with. Oh, this not, must not be the open door then. What, because it got tough? It's not God's open door? Be careful. If this sounds like you and you're a Christian who's quick to run from the ministry because you discovered how difficult it actually is, then I would simply ask you uh, this question. Did the Lord actually give you permission to leave that ministry? Did you get permission from the Lord or did you just give up? Are you allowing those difficulties to lead you down the path of disobedience? 
And it's possible that you're here right now and, and, and this is kind of speaking to you and you're like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I left because I got permission or, or because you know, I, I'm on the path of disobedience. And I'm here to tell you, if you aren't sure, then it's probably the path of disobedience. If you aren't sure, then you'd never got the Lord's permission. And the reason I say this and what the reason why I'm so certain of it is because the Lord doesn't mumble. The Lord doesn't mumble. If he's giving you permission to leave one ministry and go on to the next or step out of ministry altogether, you'll know. He'll give you permission and there won't be any question about it. And so if you don't know, then chances are you saw something that was difficult and you decided to bail. But listen, that's nothing more than disobedience. Christian, listen, the moment you placed your faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that was also the very moment when you became the servant of the Lord. And as the servant of the Lord, uh, well, we're supposed to seek his permission before entering into this ministry or stepping out of that ministry. We're supposed to seek his permission. We're supposed to seek his guidance. And as the servant of the Lord, we, we should be seeking that permission before making any decision to step down from this ministry or step up to that one. And if anyone understood the importance of overcoming those difficult obstacles, if anybody understood the importance of becoming that submissive servant who, who is dedicated even in difficult times, well, it was Paul's protege whose name was Timothy. With this in mind, if you would look with me there beginning at verse 10. There Paul writes, And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now here in these verses we find Paul, he's informing the Christians in Corinth about the arrival of this disciple named Timothy. Not only that, but he also encouraged them to receive Timothy as a faithful servant of the Lord. And in this way, Paul was making sure that Timothy could spend his time with the Christians there in Corinth without the fear of being caught up in the middle of all the schisms which were occurring there at the church. As we've made our way through this book, we've considered many of the different schisms that were happening here within this carnal group of Christians. And Paul wanted to make sure that Timothy wasn't going to be pulled in this way and that way as he found himself uh, the rope in the tug of war that was happening there at that church. Knowing that there would be this group of divisive disciples uh, who would end up even despising Timothy if he didn't take their side, uh, Timothy went anyway. Timothy knew that he was entering into a war zone in this church that was being split apart by all kinds of crazy arguments. And he could have said, you know what, Paul, I, I'm just, you know, I'm not equipped for this. I'm not prepared for this. I've never dealt with these kinds of difficulties. And so I'd rather you send someone else. He could have given Paul all of those excuses. But he didn't. And instead, he faithfully went. Timothy could have decided to avoid the difficulties of the trip to Corinth altogether. Instead, he saw this as nothing more than a great and effective door of ministry that the Lord was opening unto him. And so he went to Corinth with the, the desire to be used by the Lord. 
as he did, the Lord continued to open new doors of ministry for Paul's young protege, which included the role of senior pastor there at the church of Ephesus. That's right. Uh, Another great and effective door of ministry uh, was open to Timothy. And Timothy ended up becoming the pastor of that church in Ephesus. But this only happened after he had proved himself faithful there in Corinth. And as we read through the pastoral epistles that Paul wrote to Timothy, we discover that Pastor Timothy, he continued to face great difficulties in the ministry. It's not like he went on and became the pastor of Ephesus and all of a sudden everything just worked out for him. No, both books. First Timothy and Second Timothy. Paul is challenging Timothy to stick to it and to deal with the difficulties and to deal with the difficult Christians. Timothy was ready to give up and run away, but Paul encouraged him to to deal with every difficulty so that he could accomplish his calling in Christ. Paul wouldn't let him run away. Thankfully, Timothy stayed true to his calling in Christ. It's also interesting to note that the church in Ephesus uh, was passed on to Timothy and not Apollos. The reason I say this can be found here in our text today. If you would look with me there at verse 12, because there Paul writes, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Here in this verse, we're reintroduced to this disciple named Apollos. And while we were first introduced to this beloved believer after his initial arrival in Ephesus, uh, we also learned that he had a heart for the Grecian region of Achaia, which included this city of Corinth. And while it's true that Paul was the one who planted the church there in Corinth, it's also true that Apollos had been instrumental in establishing this church. But then after the departure of, of Apollos, Well, it's sad to say that the carnal Christians there in Corinth decided to use Apollos as the figurehead of their faction. As a matter of fact, it's in the first chapter of this epistle where we find Paul addressing this schism by declaring, each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. And so we see Apollos being thrown into the mix there as a figurehead of of one of the schisms. Not only that, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when we made our way through that chapter, uh, we learned that that Paul goes on to ask these believers, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Then he goes on to answer his own question by declaring, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So who is Paul? Who is Apollos? Submissive servants of the Lord that God used here. But God's the one who gave the increase. It's about God. Now, as we consider the respect that many of the Christians in Corinth had for Apollos because of the time that he spent there leading them, it's my guess that Paul was actually hoping that Apollos would happily return to Corinth in order to help Timothy set things straight. However, Paul tells us that Apollos was quite unwilling to go at that point in time. And so Paul just assured the Christians of Corinth that Apollos would arrive as soon as he had a convenient time. Now, it's possible that Apollos was busy about the Lord's work somewhere else and just couldn't come. But the reason why I don't really buy into that is Paul's use of the word convenient. You see, that word convenient seems to suggest otherwise. It seems to suggest that it was something other than Apollos was busy serving the Lord. 
You see, the original Greek word translated convenient speaks of leisurely time. Or more simply put, Apollos was telling Paul that he would be happy to go to Corinth whenever it was easy for him to do it. Whenever it was more convenient for him, whenever it was a leisurely thing for him, whenever it was easy, whenever things died down in Corinth, whenever the schisms were dealt with by Timothy, then he would show up. I don't want to make too much of this because I don't want to just build an argument from silence here, but I would point out that after this chapter of the Bible, we only hear about the ministry of Apollos one more time. It's also interesting to note that there are two pastoral epistles that end up being dedicated to Timothy. And so here at this moment of decision, we find Timothy being sent to Corinth, and we see Apollos being sent to Corinth, but only one of them agreed to go. One of them fades into the background of our New Testament, and the other takes a more prominent role. From this, it seems possible that the ministry of Apollos ends up fading into the background as he began to place his own convenience before his calling in Christ. At the same time, the great and effective door of ministry continued to open for Timothy because he was a disciple who was willing to deal with every difficulty regardless of how he ended up being inconvenienced. Christian, I'm here to tell you that the ministry will always be inconvenient. The ministry will always be inconvenient. And it's sad to say that there are way too many Christians who, like Apollos, they continue to look for that convenient time to serve the Lord. Well, when I retire, that's when I'll... Well, when I get that, you know, weekend off. Or, well, when I get the money that I need. Or when I... Eventually, someday in the future, there'll be a convenient... No, there's never going to be a convenient time to serve the Lord. There's always going to be reasons that would keep us from living as a submissive servant to the lordship of Jesus Christ. There's always going to be something that would lead us to say, you know what, it's just not convenient right now. The convenient time never comes. And if this sounds like you, if you're the kind of Christian like Apollos who's saying, you know what, when it becomes convenient, then I'll... If that sounds like you, I would encourage you to embrace the instructions that Paul gave here to the Christians in Corinth. And and with this as the goal, if you would look with me at verse 13, because there Paul declares, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, let all that you do be done with love. Here in these verses we find Paul directing the disciples there in Corinth, uh, and he presents them with this five-point plan for becoming those believers who are willing to serve the Lord with all spiritual submissiveness and despite the difficulties. The first point, it's found there in verse 13. It's based on the word watch. That word watch was translated from a Greek word which speaks of the soldier who remains awake in order to stay on guard. It also refers to the vigilant Christian who is always on guard against the selfish desires which would lead us to put our own convenience before the perfect will of the Lord. And not only should we watch and stay on guard, but Paul also encouraged his audience to stand fast in the faith. The words stand fast there? Well, they're translated from a Greek word which speaks of a persistent perseverance. Persistent perseverance. 
what this means is that we must continue to stand on guard. It's not enough to just say, well, I watched for a little while, but you know, I got tired of watching. So no, it's persistent perseverance in staying on guard. And we must continue to stay on guard against the selfish desires, which would lead us to put our own convenience before the perfect will of the Lord. Furthermore, Paul encouraged his audience to be brave. And that word brave, it speaks of courage. It's the courage that helps us to face every fear. Courage isn't, uh, you know, a person who is fearless, but rather a person who stands in the face of fear. And, and while it's easy for us to, uh, to allow the fear of difficulties to keep us from serving our Savior, well, the Lord wants us to become brave believers who have the courage that we need to serve him even when times get tough. Not only that, but there at the end of verse 13, Paul directed every disciple to be strong. That word strong speaks of someone who is being empowered in sort of a passive sense. In other words, he's not telling them to hit the gym and go bulk up and get strong. No, he's telling them to engage in a, in a passive sort of strength. It's a, it's a receiving of strength. He wanted them to become believers who are being strengthened with spiritual might by walking in the power of the Spirit. Fifthly and finally, Paul directed the disciples there in in verse 14 to let everything be done with love. And with this in mind, it's important for us to remember that the Christian has been called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. If you want to be a submissive servant, if you want to live in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it has to begin with love. We have to love the Lord with everything that's in us. And if we truly love the Lord in this way, then we'll also be quick to deny those selfish desires which would lead us to put our own conveniences before the perfect will of the Lord. Well, after encouraging the Christians in Corinth to apply this five-point plan to their lives, Paul also pointed them to a life of spiritual submission. As a matter of fact, look with me beginning at verse 15. Here we find Paul continuing to point them to a life of spiritual submission by declaring, I urge you, brethren... You know the household of Stephanus, that is, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such, and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part, they supplied. For they refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. Now here in these verses we find Paul, he's pointing to the household of Stephanus. And according to Paul, they were the first fruits of Achaia, which is to say that they were the first to convert to the Christian faith there in that province of Greece where the church of Corinth was located. Paul also tells us that these three men were not only the first converts to the Christian faith, Uh, but they were also believers who had devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They themselves were submissive servants who were submitting themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, we learn that they brought Paul some sort of relief while he was there in Ephesus. There was something that Paul was lacking, and Paul tells us that these guys brought it to him. Not only uh, did they provide what was lacking in the provisions that he needed, but they also refreshed Paul's spirit during their visit. They encouraged Paul while he was there in Ephesus. 
Not only that, but Paul also assures the Christians there in Corinth that Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus would also refresh their spirits as well. And from this, many commentators believe that these were the men who brought this book back to the church in Corinth. Many believe that the people in Corinth were refreshed as these guys arrived with this book in hand. And with that being the case, Paul instructed the original recipients of this epistle to submit to them as well as to everyone who works and labors with us. In this way, Paul was presenting the Christians in Corinth uh, with this living example of what it looks like to be a believer who is standing on guard and persevering in the faith with a courageous and powerful love. And while it's true that Paul instructed the Christians in Corinth to submit to such men, I believe that we would all do well to submit ourselves to Christian leaders who demonstrate these spiritual qualities. Just to be clear, I should point out that the word submit, which is found there in verse 16, well, it's actually translated from a Greek word which speaks of the soldier who is quick to subject themselves to a superior officer. If you're a soldier and and a superior officer comes and says, you know, you jump or you move or whatever it is, you just do it. You submit. Because that's your superior officer. That's what that word submit speaks of. And not only that, but this word submit also refers to those who yield to the admonition or advice of another. To yield to the admonition or the advice of another. Now, as we consider the way in which Paul instructed those Christians in Corinth to submit themselves to the leadership of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, it's also important for us to realize that the Lord is calling every Christian to learn how to submit to one another according to the leadership structure of the church that we attend. Unfortunately, the average Christian no longer grasps the value of becoming a believer who is living in spiritual submission to the leadership of their church. The average Christian can take or leave it, you know. Well, the pastor said this, but I'm going to do that. Well, the leader of this ministry wants me to do this, but I don't really want to do that. We no longer grasp what it means to live in spiritual submission. Many Christians are even offended at the idea of it. You're not the boss of me. You're not my real dad. And and, and Christians can take offense to this idea that we're supposed to show up to church and live in some sort of spiritual submission. And yet that's exactly what the Bible tells us to do. To yield in cooperation to one another. And I can assure you that the Christian who seeks the leaders of their church for the confirmation of the Lord's permission will end up avoiding many of the hidden rocks and reefs which have shipwrecked the faith of those who simply will not submit. I see it happen all the time. And I can look at someone's life and tell you whether they're headed for a shipwreck or not. All I have to do is look to see if they're walking in submission to the Lord and if they're walking in submission to the leaders of their church. Because those who aren't, they're headed for a shipwreck. It's inevitable. Christian, listen, the Lord has called us to become submissive servants who are submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ has given us a structure of leadership within the church that he's called us to submit uh, ourselves to. And you know what? I hear Christians uh, uh, all the time saying, well, the Lord told me this and the Lord told me that. Well, how do you know? 
unless there's been some sort of confirmation that has come from the leaders of your church. I remember before being sent out to, to pastor this church, I, 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 I felt like the Lord was calling me to, to plant a church in South Austin, but I wasn't willing to go unless the Lord confirmed it through my pastor and through my wife. And as soon as I got confirmation from my pastor and from my wife, that's when I said, okay, now I've got confirmation of what I think I heard the Lord tell me. I was submitting myself to the lordship of Jesus Christ, but I was also submitting myself to the confirmation that I knew the Lord could provide for me through the two people that I trusted the most. Christian, listen, if if you aren't living your life in submission to to the Lord, and, and if you aren't submitting to the leaders of your church, you're headed for a fall. It's just a matter of time. Finally, we should consider how the submissive believer will engage in the spiritual affection of Christian community because this is one more sign of true spiritual submission. And in order to explain what I'm saying, look with me there beginning at verse 19 where Paul writes, The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord, with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. The salutation with my my own hand, Paul's. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Here in the final verses of this chapter, we find Paul encouraging the Christians in Corinth to submit to one another through the connection that occurs in Christian fellowship. As a matter of fact, look with me again there at verse 19 where Paul sent the collective church there in Corinth greetings from all the churches in Asia Minor, or in other words, from the seven churches of Asia Minor, and he does this by declaring, the churches of Asia greet you. Uh, There wasn't an individual person that was being greeted here, but a collective community. That word you was pointing to the church as a whole. This book wasn't sent to an individual. It was sent to a community. Not only that, but there in the second half of verse 9, Paul declared, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord. Again, not an individual, but a collective community of Christians. And we learn there that this greeting from Aquila and Priscilla not only came from Aquila and Priscilla, but the church that's in their house. In other words, from one collective community of Christians to another. Greetings. The corporate Christian community, which was meeting at the house of Aquila and Priscilla, was sending greetings to the corporate Christian community meeting there in Corinth. And again, there in the beginning of verse 20, Paul also let them know that all the brethren greet you. Not an individual, but a collective corporate community of Christians. Paul's traveling companions were were sending their greetings to the church there in Corinth. And in this way, Paul was inadvertently revealing the importance of belonging to a corporate Christian community. It's what we call the local church. There, there's the church as a whole, which is made up of every Christian uh, on the planet in the world today, and that's great. And, and there's a lot of Christians who will say, well, I, well I, you don't have to go to a building to be a part of the church. And yes, that is correct. You don't have to go to a building to be, to be, to be a part of a church. And yet, 
the entire New Testament was written and sent to corporate communities of Christians known as the church. And the Lord is calling us to belong to a community of Christians so that we can experience the affection of Christian love. As a matter of fact, look with me there in the middle of verse 20 where Paul encouraged the Christians there in Corinth to greet one another with a holy kiss. From this we can see that the Christian community of the local church, it ought to be a place where believers can share the affection of spiritual camaraderie. And this was a way of greeting one another to, to kiss each other on the cheeks. And, and, and we're not going to start that tradition here unless Franco really wants to. But, uh, but you know, that's really not the culture here. You know, to, here it's more of a hug. And, and uh, you know, the, 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 the bro hug includes the arms in between. So we're really not touching, but, but we are. That's how we do it here. But the idea is that there should be some level of affection happening here at the church. And, and listen, you might be a Christian who says, well, you know, I don't really feel that kind of affection here at Calvary South Austin. I show up to church and, and I don't really experience that kind of uh, affection here at this church. And if so, then I encourage you, join the greeting ministry. Join the greeting ministry. Because then you'll be positioned at the front door and it's your job to greet one another as they, as they arrive. If you're saying there's a deficiency of affection here at the church, then let, let the, the solution begin with you. By you stepping up to serve in the greeting ministry. There, problem solved. You'll begin to experience the affection that occurs right there at the front door as the greeters embrace the people who arrive here at this church to worship. Christian, listen, Calvary South Austin should be a place where the love of the Lord is being experienced through the submissive relationships of true Christian community. And yet we must understand that this affection for one another must begin with a submissive relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, this is precisely the point that Paul was making there in verse 22 where he declares, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. That's the word anathema. If you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, you are anathema, accursed. Or to put it as simply as I possibly can, and as gritty as Paul was writing it, love the Lord Jesus Christ or go to hell. That's what he says. If you do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are accursed, anathema. And then he turns around and says, O oh Lord, come which is the word Maranatha. So he's saying it's either anathema or Maranatha. Which one are you? Which one are you? Those who don't love the Lord are already anathema, but on the other side, those who love the Lord will together declare Maranatha, even so come Lord Jesus. Which one are you? Are you the Maranatha person who shows up to church so that together we can say, come, Lord Jesus, come? Or are you the anathema person who's rejecting the gracious gift of love that the Lord Jesus is ready to pour out on anyone who would simply submit to him through faith? If you're the Maranatha person, then I would encourage you, continue serving the Lord here within your Christian community. Continue submitting yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ with your time and your talent and your treasure. 
But if you're the anathema person, then I invite you tonight to repent. Repent of your sins because the Lord Jesus doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants you to be saved. But this begins by submitting your life to the lordship of our Savior Jesus Christ. And so with that, I encourage anyone who right now is anathema to receive the love of the Lord and the grace of Jesus Christ by repenting of your sins and by submitting yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ so that you too can say with the rest of us, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray.